Section 10 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in July 2016. Essay 8. Length, Breadth, Thickness, and Then What? By Kennell, Leonard C. Gunnell, Smithsonian Institution, Washington, D.C. It is difficult for a finite mind to picture, or even to conceive, of conditions unconnected with finite experiences and unperceivable by finite senses. All finite experiences are connected in some way with material substances or with perceivable forces. All material substances have one or more of the properties of length, breadth, or thickness, and all physical forces may in some way be rendered perceivable. To the lay mind, many scientific achievements seem almost miraculous, though by systematic effort any educated mind may comprehend any of the achievements in any of the sciences, for the results have to do alone with matter and forces, and are expressed in terms which may be transposed into the equivalent terms commonly used to describe everyday actions and experiences. The science of astronomy, dealing as it does with infinite masses, infinite forces, and infinite distances, would seem to require the ultimate effort of a finite mind to comprehend, but the ultimate problems in astronomy deal only with masses, forces, and three-dimensional space, things of common knowledge, connected only in a lesser degree with common, everyday actions and experiences. The ultimate theories in physics and chemistry deal with atomic and molecular forces and masses, and with their interactions, no matter how vast or how minute are the masses or forces, they remain masses and forces, and their dimensions and activities are described in terms equivalent to those used in describing all other qualities and actions. The qualities of three-dimensional matter we comprehend, forces we comprehend, and vibrations we can comprehend as one of the manifestations of forces. Consequently, when the chemists or physicists in dealing with ultimate theories claim, as they do, that matter is simply the manifestation of forces, the idea may be grasped, though it may or may not be accepted. Advocates of the fourth dimension ask more of our reasoning powers in explaining their hypothesis. One must lay aside all usual comparison with concrete things in grasping this hypothetical idea, as we can only reason about the qualities possessed by such a transcendental figure, the exact nature and form of which cannot possibly be definitely pictured to a finite mind. The conception is mental purely and is not connected with, nor necessary to, the solving or understanding of any actual problem. Four-dimensional space is not and cannot be connected with finite problems or experiences limited, as all such problems and experiences are, to space of three dimensions. We live and exist in space. All our problems and experiences are limited to actions in space. We know that a point has position alone, but position in space with no dimension, 
When the point moves in a straight path, a line is traced which has length alone, the first dimension, beginning at a point and ending at a point. Should the line move at an angle, say at a right angle with itself, a plane is formed having two dimensions, length and breadth, with a line at the beginning and a line at the ending of its path, and in addition two new lines traced by the two points in their movements. If the motion of the line is at right angles with the path of the point, and for a distance equal to the length of the line, a square is formed in a plane. A square being a good representative two-dimensional plane figure, we will use it in our explanation. In other words, a plane square is a figure having length and breadth, is bounded by four lines of equal length, which meet at four points. In a similar manner, a cube is formed by moving the plane, at a right angle, a distance equal to the length of the line. This cube will have thickness, the third dimension, in addition to the length and breadth of the line and the square. As it begins with and ends with a square, and each of the four lines bounding the first square will, by its movement, trace a new square, it will be bounded by six squares. It will also have four lines from the original square, four lines in the final square, and four lines traced by the movements of the four points of the original square, or twelve lines in all, meeting at eight points, four points from the original square, and four points from the final square. Let us assemble the above facts for convenience in comparing them and add to the table the corresponding properties of an imaginary fourth-dimensional figure, these being determined as follows. As the line, the first dimension, is formed from a moving point, so a square, a typical second-dimension figure, is formed from a moving line, making a figure bounded by four lines, and as a cube having a third dimension, is similarly formed by a plane moving into the third dimension, making a figure bounded by six planes, does it not follow that a corresponding fourth-dimensional figure is formed by the movement of a cube into the fourth direction and will be bounded by cubes? If this is the case, and the line derives from the point two points, and the square derives from the line four lines and four points, and if the cube derives from the square eight points, twelve lines and six planes, does it not follow that the moving figure gives to the corresponding fourth-dimensional figure the following qualities? The cube at rest has eight points in space. At the end of its movement it has eight new points in space, its movement into the fourth dimension has created the fourth dimensional figure, therefore the figure should have 16 points. The cube has at rest 12 lines or edges and has at the end of its movement 12 additional lines, and each of its 8 points has traced a new line, making 32 lines or edges in all for a corresponding fourth dimensional figure. Similarly, as the cube has six planes at the beginning and has six new planes at the ending of its movement, and as its twelve lines will in moving trace twelve new planes, 
there will be 24 planes in the fourth dimensional figure. Now, as a cube is generated from a moving square, when the cube moves to generate a figure of the fourth dimension, the new figure will have a cube at the beginning of the movement and another cube at the end, and in addition, each of the six squares bounding the original cube will, by their movement, trace a new cube, thus adding six new cubes to the two already mentioned, or eight cubes in all to bound the new fourth-dimensional figure. From this line of reasoning, we derive from a point in an ascending scale through the well-known figures and attributes of the first, second and third dimensional figures, the logical attributes of a hypothetical figure of four dimension, which is that it is bounded by eight cubes and has 24 planes and 32 lines meeting at 16 points. It is not sufficient to say that the incomprehensible fourth dimension of geometry, corresponding to the figure of the fourth power of arithmetic and algebra, does not exist because we cannot picture it or even conceive of it, or because it does not enter into any problem connected with known matter or force. It may properly be claimed that a three-dimensional figure of infinite length, infinite breadth, and infinite thickness would embrace infinite space, but is it possible to picture or comprehend what infinite space is? Can a finite mind picture a space with no ending, space with no beginning and no ending, limitless space in which our vast solar system is a mere dot, in which the known stellar universe is probably also comparatively a mere dot, although it is actually so vast in extent that the light from some of its component stars which started toward us generations ago or centuries ago is only now reaching us. All this known space is, however, so far as the human mind can picture it, three-dimensional, though its vastness is well-nigh incomprehensible. If space is limitless, the idea is incomprehensible, and if it is limited, its limits are incomprehensible. Space is limited, or it is limitless. In either case, the idea is incomprehensible. Thus, the mere statement that an idea is incomprehensible does not prove its non-existence. It is common to use as an analogy, in explaining the idea of the fourth dimension, the possible experiences of hypothetical beings existing in space of more limited dimensions than the three-dimensional space we understand, and thus by comparison picture our possible experiences with space of four dimensions. Picture a being whose existence is passed in a plane, say a finite two-dimensional figure, a square, for instance. This being would be shut in by the four lines bounding the square, there would be no upper side or underside imaginable to this being, for upper side or underside would imply thickness which would be a dimension higher than the plane. Now this being could move in any direction on its square until a boundary line was encountered which would be to it a barrier. It could picture the other side of this line, for the other would be simply a continuation of the plane, 
but to reach the other side without passing through the line would be incomprehensible, for it would necessitate movement in the third dimension, a movement in a direction incomprehensible to the plane being. Now, however, a three-dimensional being, able to move and act in three-dimensional space, a human being, for instance, could remove the two-dimensional being from its square, pass it over a boundary line, and back on its plane outside of the boundary lines of the square. Thus, the two-dimensional being would find itself on the outside of its barriers without having passed through any of them, for its movement in the third dimension would have been unperceived and incomprehensible. Now, imagine a being in a cubic three-dimensional figure, say, a box having solid covers on all of its six sides. There is no conceivable way of getting out of such a box save by passing through one of the six sides, yet from the analogy derived from the experience of the two-dimensional being, a fourth-dimensional being could move the being confined in the box into the fourth dimension, and so out of the box without passing the being through the sides of the box. This act is no more comprehensible to the human three-dimensional being than would be the act of passing over the boundary line to the two-dimensional being. It is obvious that a one-dimensional figure on a line can, by motion in the second direction, pass off of the line without passing through the points which begin and end the line, and we have shown that a two-dimensional figure can, by motion in the third direction, pass out of a square without passing through the square's boundary lines. Therefore, a three-dimensional figure could, by motion in the fourth direction, pass out of a cube without passing through the cube's boundary planes. It will be noted that the generation of each of the three figures of known space is accomplished by one of three distinct motions, each differing in direction from the motions preceding, and that by one or a combination of these three motions, any point of any conceivable figure of known space can be reached. Now, therefore, this fourth movement, that is, the movement of the cubic figure in generating the fourth dimensional figure, is a movement differing essentially in direction from the movement the plane makes in generating the cubic figure, just as the line movement in generating the plane differs essentially in direction from the movement the point makes in generating the line. The fourth movement, essential to the generation of a fourth dimension from a third dimensional figure, is inconceivable to the human three-dimensional being, just as the third movement essential in generating a third dimension from a two-dimensional figure would be inconceivable to a two-dimensional being whose possible experiences were always limited to a plane. It is not logical to state that a fourth dimension cannot exist, for from the analogies derived from the other three movements, the first that of a moving point generating a line, the second that of a moving line generating a plane, and the third that of a moving plane generating a cubic figure, a clear strong argument is derived for the possibility of a fourth movement differing essentially in direction from any of the three preceding movements or any combination of them, 
just as they severally differ essentially from each other. This fourth movement is the movement necessary to generate a fourth dimension, whose figure is inconceivable to the finite human mind, but whose boundaries, qualities, and other attributes can be as definitely described as if the hypothetical figure could be perceived by the human senses of vision and touch. End of section 10